Well, good evening, and it's good to be back with you, and uh, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you do, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read this passage together, and then we're going to have a look at it. So let's start with the reading from Hebrews chapter 4, starting to read at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declare an oath in my heart, they will never enter my rest. And yet, his work has been finished since the creation of the world since for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day, and in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it, Today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul, the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think we can all say amen to that, and uh, let's just pray before we gather around God's word. Our Father, we thank you again for this passage that we've read and we thank you for all the things that are held within it and are there to challenge and encourage us. And we pray that we will be open to these things this evening as we look at it together, that you might speak through it to us and that we might see more of Jesus. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen. So we've come to this uh, passage, and it's Hebrews chapter 4, and you probably won't be surprised that I've titled it God's Rest. 
Before we go into this chapter, let's remind ourselves of what God has said to those Israelites who refuse to obey God and refused to enter the promised land when the twelve spies came back from Canaan with the news about the land. So we read this in Hebrews 3 verse 18. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So, we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So, God's rest. What does it mean? Chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So the promise of God's rest still stands. So the rest that we are talking about goes beyond the rest of those who would eventually enter the promised land. The rest extends to the rest that we can have in Christ. And the warning comes from the past. Do not disobey God as Israel did. If they could not enter God's rest by believing and trusting in his provision, how can we enter the rest that God has prepared for us through Jesus? And any message other than the gospel is of no value. We can go to James chapter 1 and verse 26 tells us this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. These were those who, in James' day, were within the church who were preaching another gospel that wasn't the gospel at all. And what James is saying, well, just hold your tongue because what you're preaching is just religion and without the gospel, it's worthless. So we continue in Hebrews chapter 4 and we come to verse 3 to 5. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day. In these words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Now, the readers of this letter are reminded that they have heard the good news, the gospel. A reminder that they have not only heard the gospel, but that they have believed it. And it is this that is giving them entrance into God's rest. Now, for Israel, in the days of Moses, God freed them from slavery. He prepared the promised land for them, a rest for them in Canaan. But this was temporary, but it was still part of God's rest, but it was temporary for them. The somewhere he has spoken which the writer refers to. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. His readers to this letter would know this passage so well that the writer doesn't need to give them any reference. He just said, it's written somewhere and and you'll all know this one. And remember that they didn't have chapter and verse like we have, because those references we have are so that we can find our way through the Bible and find navigate through it quite quickly and easily. But these people knew these things, so he just has to say that they're somewhere, you know them. Now, when God rested on the seventh day of creation, it wasn't because he was tired. It was to show us that we could rest in what he had prepared for us. The invitation is to rest with him in his rest, as did Adam originally. God's work of creation was complete and Adam could rest in it with God. That was until he sinned. To enjoy God's rest requires faith and obedience and trust. So we come to verse 6 and 7. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear this voice, do not harden your hearts. Now the word therefore, it always means that we have to take in account that which we already know. It means because of what has just been said. And it's saying entrance to the rest that God has prepared is not by hearing the invitation, but it's by believing and believing enough to accept it. And then we can enter in God's rest. God's rest is continuous. This passage from David is one that the writer, as he said, has already referred to. It's from Psalm 95. Let me just read um, the second part of verse uh, 7 and into verse 11. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah or as you did at Massah in the wilderness where your ancestor tested me. They tried me, though they hadn't seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said they are the people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways, so I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. The opportunity to enter God's rest was still there for the readers as they received this letter written to them. And it's there for us today as we read this letter. And if we go on in the letter to verse 8 and through to verse 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest 
for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So we have to view these verses in context and looking at exactly what the writer is saying here. If we go to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 13, Joshua said this, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. The invitation to enter God's rest is still ongoing. The rest is presented in the gospel, in the good news. The invitation to the rest with God is to rest, or the invitation from God to his rest is to rest in Christ. It's not our rest, it's God's rest that we are called to enter into. And this is an eternal rest, the enjoyment of being in his presence. As Adam was at the beginning, but now through the work of the second Adam, Jesus makes it possible for us, and it is by faith and not by works. We can go to Galatians uh, chapter 2. It's Galatians 2 verse 16. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. A word again from the past now, and a word that is from the past, but it is for the future. And again, it's Psalm 95, verse 6 to 7. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 to 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Here we have the mouth of God and the eyes of God. The written and spoken word of God is powerful. And this description and illustration that we've just read from this passage speaks for itself. And John tells us that the word became flesh. Jesus, who is the living word, the powerful living word of God. And the power is like a sharp double-edged sword. 
It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That's everything that covers our physical, spiritual, our thoughts, our attitudes. And then nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. The word of God speaks into the inner being. Every aspect of man, body, soul, and mind and heart. And the eyes of God sees everything that there is to see. The truth is revealed. And the truth is that the debt that we owe must be paid. Under the Mosaic law, the debt was paid by the daily sacrificial blood of animals and the once-a-year event on the Day of Atonement, when the scapegoat would be sent into the wilderness carrying the sins of the people and as the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, let's not forget that this would have been the way that the readers of this letter would have previously worshipped God. And this would have been part of their lives as it still was for most of the Jews that they lived amongst. But this was before they responded to the gospel and accepted Jesus as saviour. Now, they would no longer have to live by the Mosaic law. But others were telling them that they should. That Christ's death and resurrection was not enough. More was needed. And this is the reason why the writer of this letter wrote it. So let's go back to it, verse 14 through to 16. There's that word, therefore, again. <laughs> let's keep in mind what we've already learned. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. They and we can boldly approach the throne of grace without the need of animal sacrifice or without the need of an earthly high priest. Jesus is the once and for all perfect sacrifice. His blood was shed on the cross. He carried our sins of the world as he entered into the wilderness of death. He rose from death and entered his rightful place in heaven as the fulfilment of the Mosaic law, which was no longer needed, as it was a representation and an illustration of that which was to come. Sabbath. We know that word. But what about God's rest? God's Sabbath? See, Sabbath is from the Hebrew word Shabbat which means rest. So what about God's rest? 
When God's work of creation was finished, it was completed. And man could rest in God's Shabbat, his finished work. When God's work of freeing Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians, they could rest in the promised land, God's Shabbat, his finished work. As Jesus entered death, he said, it is finished. His saving work was done, and he sat down at the right hand of his Father. This was his Shabbat, his rest. We know those in the past who didn't enjoy the rest that God had given them and wouldn't accept God as being the one who had provided these things for them and so they lost it. But when we accept Jesus as our saviour, we enter into his finished work, his Shabbat. We rest in Jesus every day and that rest will be made complete when we are with him in the place where there is no sin. But until then, we are completely in his rest. We have entered in. We have a day that we call the Sabbath. That is a day of rest. But that is a day set aside to taste the fullness of what is to come. As we go forward in this passage, we've already seen that Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses. And we're going to see that he's greater than the priesthood and he's greater than the high priest. And so as we go forward, let's just consider these things. Maybe read through them again. Pray about them. Ask God to make them clear to us that we might understand. Let's just pray together. Our Father, we thank you again for this time. And we do come to you in our weakness. And very often we neglect to take these things in their fullness and to really think about them and pray about them. But our Father, we pray that we will do this and that we will, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal the truths of your word to us in, in a way that we will really appreciate them, that we will hold on to them. We thank you that we, through Christ, are saved we have entered into the rest that you have prepared and that nobody can take that from us. But it's not complete yet and it won't be until we are with you in glory. But our Father, we thank you that you give us a little taste of it when you give us that time when we can set aside specifically to be with you. And even that day that we call the Sabbath. Our Father, we just bring these things into your presence now and ask your blessing upon them as we ask them in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.